Lord, we thank you today for the Lord Jesus Christ, for once again allowing us to be here, allowing us to study the Word of God together. And Lord, as we go through this section on service on the virtuous woman, I pray, Father, that you would guide our thoughts, direct our minds toward Christ. And Lord, for what we need to accomplish today, we ask that you would do it. Bless us now, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're on the section on service. This woman, of course, we know, is the church, right? And this church, according to Proverbs 31:16, let me also clarify that. This is God's church total, but it's for each individual. It's for us personally. In Proverbs 31, 16, it says, She considereth a field and buyeth it, and with the fruit of her hand she planteth a vineyard. Ruth, that we are studying, left everything to follow Naomi to Judah. Remember? She left her home. She left her family. Everything to do one thing, to seek bread in the land of praise. And as a result, she met Boaz. And Boaz said she would receive a full reward in Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. Well, God is very succinct in his word that we can't outserve, outsacrifice, or outgive him. And this woman decided in Proverbs 31:16 to consider a field. Now, what does it specifically say? It says, it says she's going to buy a field, right? She considereth a field, and she buyeth it. Now, this word buy in Proverbs 31, 16, it simply means to win. She's going to win a field. Well, did Ruth have the heart of a servant? Have you guys studied this? Ruth 2.2, did she have the heart of a servant? Yes, she was not a proud, haughty, haughty woman. She served in Boaz's field, but she served with meekness. And in Matthew 13.38, Christ, in explaining a parable of the tares to his disciples, defines the field. And what, how does he define the field in Matthew 13.38? The world. He says the field is the world. No one forced Ruth to glean in the fields of Boaz. She wanted to glean grain because it was the desire of her heart. That's why she went. Now, since God calls the field the world, she's going to work in the fields of her Redeemer, Ruth 2.3. What should we be doing as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, as the church? What should we be doing? We should be in the field, you guys. We should be working. Did anybody require Ruth to go to the field? Did anyone say to her, did Boaz say to her, Ruth, you have to go to the field? No. They did, he, no. Ruth 2.2, 2, what does it say? She said, let me now go. Boaz, allow me to go into your field. 
No one twisted her arm. No one made her. And I'm telling you what, ladies, I have discovered in the last five days how intent Satan is on keeping us from doing this work in God's field. He is intent on discouraging us. He is intent on keeping us out of the field. Now, Boaz was very careful to instruct Ruth to stay in his fields. Did you notice that? Why do you think that was so important? Do you guys look up the scripture? What's James 4.4 4 say? James 4.4, 4, what does it say? Look it up. <clears throat> Somebody got it? Being yes, being a friend of the world, you can't be the friend of God and be the friend of the world at the same time. Not possible. So, what do you need to do? You need to stay in your field. Stay in your field. That may be your work. It may be your neighborhood. It may be your extended family. It may be your local church. It may be at home. Or it may be somewhere else on this planet. I have no earthly idea. All I know is, is what Matthew 27, 18 through 20 says. It says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Does it not? And it says to teach all nations. And you go, I will never do that. Yes, you will. And here's how. I had a dear, sweet lady that I loved with all my heart. She's in heaven now, but man, she loved God so much. But she had, her little body wouldn't let her do some things. You know what I mean? She was sick. She had a lot of things wrong with her. And she goes, she called me one day out of the blue and she says, I have an errand I want you to run. And I'm, and I'm thinking in my head, no, 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 no. This is not a good time. I can't do this. And she says, I want you to take some cookies to a nursing home. And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. I can't do this. No, no, no. And she's saying, uh, what time will we be over to pick them up? Pick up the cookies. <laughs> and I'm saying, okay. It came out of my mouth. And I gave her a time, and I went and got the cookies, and I took him to the nursing home. That little lady never left the continental United States, but she served in her field. You get it? So I don't know what your field is, but if you never leave home, if you never leave Kansas City, you can serve different nations even in your neighborhood and that word nations in Matthew 27 18 through 20 it comes from the Greek word ethnos that means ethnic groups ethnic different ethnic groups how many ethnic groups do you have living in your neighborhood we've got a lot in ours and I'm sure you could reach the world stepping outside your front door and meeting your neighbor Matthew 28. What do I have? 27. I'm sorry. Thank you. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Yes. Thank you. So, 
Boaz wanted Ruth to separate herself from other fields and only work in his. So whatever your assigned field is, come out from among them, be separate, and do what God says. He also instructed her to keep his, her eyes on his field. Whatever that field is. And he says, look on the fields because they're white, all ready unto harvest. And after looking at Ruth's service, she had the heart of a servant. She served willingly. She was the friend of God because she separated herself from the world. And she served in the fields of her Redeemer. Whatever God had assigned her. That's what she did. Now she seeks, according to Proverbs 31:13, wool and flax, and she works willingly with her hands. And right here I want to make a little comment. In Proverbs 31:16, the only vineyard this woman had was the planting of the fruit of her hands. I hope you guys have read those verses in Proverbs 31. But in Proverbs 31:16, the only vineyard she has is just the planting of the fruit of her hands. Do you realize that is totally against any agricultural laws you will read in regard to planting anything? Because if you are going to plant a vineyard, for example, are you going to go, okay, I want a vineyard. So you take a bunch of grapes and you go out and you dig a hole in the ground and you put those grapes in there and you cover them up. What will you have next season? Nothing. Because what will happen to the grapes? They rot in the ground. And yet this woman, when she considers this field, that's her world, she plants a vineyard with the fruit of her hand. There's the vineyard. How does she do that? Because she's taking fruit from the true vine. If you go back to John chapter 15 verse 1 and 2, remember Jesus said, I am the vine and ye are the branches. So where is she getting this fruit that she's going to plant a vineyard with? She's getting it from the true vine. And you know how that happens? It's because in John chapter 12 and verse 24, Jesus was planted in the ground. Remember? He was killed. He was crucified on a cross. What did they do with his body? They took that body and they put it in the tomb. But what happened on the third day? He arose from the dead. That corn of wheat that is planted in the ground was Jesus. He died. And what did he bring forth with him out of the tomb? He brought out of that grave the fruit of our salvation. No risen Savior, no salvation. Paul says it, except he be risen from the dead. I am yet in my sin. So we have got a risen Savior. And this virtuous woman, she takes the fruit of her hands 
because her Redeemer has already made her part of the true vine. And now what she is doing, she is lifting up those hands and she is saying, I have nothing to offer you except what Jesus did. And I will offer to whoever will listen the fruit of my hands that came from the true vine that was slain, was buried, and rose again the third day. And her vineyard is a result of offering up praise to God for her salvation through Jesus Christ the Lord. So when we enter into the throne room of God, and we get on our knees and we pray, the peace offering we bring is what God has given us. Praise for his son. Now, In Proverbs 31:13, she seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. And that word seeketh, she seeketh wool and flax. What's the definition of that word seeketh? Did you guys look it up? What's the definition of the word? To worship. To worship. Seek. To seek. Question. To question, to search. So what's she doing when she's seeking? When she's seeking wool and flax, what's she doing? She's looking for it, right? She's searching for it. Who made her do that? Who twisted her arm and said, okay, you're a virtuous woman. Go look for the wool and flax. Who made her do that? No one. She did it. Willingly, because you read the rest of the verse, when she looks for the wool and flax, she works with it willingly with her hands. Wool and flax. What's she want to do? She wanted to serve. Where do you get wool? From a lamb. And by the way, we were talking about this little lamb that I've got on the, on the, um, up here. That's a real lamb, you guys. It is real. It is not stuffed. <laughs> she works willingly. She seeks the woolen flax. She searches it out. And then she gleaned grain after Boaz. After Boaz, she went after him looking for grain. She wanted to find those things. She wanted to search out those things that belonged to her Redeemer. How awesome is that? Now, wool in the scriptures represents purity. I've listed all the verses out here for you. Isaiah 1.18, Hebrews 9.19-22, Revelation 1.14, Daniel 7.9. Wool represents purity in the Word of God. And even when you go back to the book of Revelation, and I believe it's in chapter 1, it says about Jesus, His head and His hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. That's the Lamb. That's our risen Lamb. Well, then she also 
used flax, did she not? She seeks out wool and flax. I don't know if you guys are familiar with flax or not. I tried to put a picture up here for you. Flax is what is used to make linen thread. They beat the flax, and after they harvest it, they beat it. And what is produced is linen, a thread-like fiber that can be used to spin into linen thread. So she is looking for flax. Well, linen, like flax, is associated with purity and is associated with righteousness. Because in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 8, you find for the church, to her was granted she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So what is she working with? How does that apply today? Where should our priorities be in what is first in our lives after we come to know Jesus Christ as Savior? Abide, bear fruit, glorify God, yield to his lordship. Because when that is real in our lives, I guarantee you, there's going to be things that's going to hit you right between the eyes that you're not going to understand. There's going to be times there are things in life that are going to be very difficult to face. And what Satan tries to deter us from doing is seeking the purity and the loveliness and the righteousness of Christ. And we go, oh, well, all of this happened and I, you know, I can't handle it anymore. Get back to John 15. Get back to the abiding place. Get back to the wool. Get back to the flax. Get back to the word of God. No, life's, life's tough. Guarantee you. And sometimes the older you get, the tougher it gets. So what do we do? We need to be searching as born-again believers in Jesus Christ for those things that bring glory to God. What brings them glory? Our priorities should be Christ first in all things. Remember Colossians 1.18? We started with that verse, I think, in John 15, and we started with it this year, that Christ might have the preeminence in all things. What does that mean? He is before first. Whatever is first in your life with your family, your children, your trials, your tribulation, the trouble you're going through, the wonderful things that are happening right now, whatever it is, Christ first before that list. Don't make your list and put him at the bottom. Put him before the list and then make one through ten. Life will work. Now, she abides sitting down, this woman. Ruth was gleaning in the field as she did that. 
Did the servant over the reapers take notice of what she was doing? Did you guys read that, Ruth 2.7? Uh-huh. It says the reapers noticed what she was doing. Now these reapers worked for Boaz. What do they do? What do reapers do? Well, they gather grain, right? So they were working in his fields, and they noticed Ruth. And there was one thing in particular that caught the eyes of the other reapers. Did you catch it? It's in Ruth 2.7. What did she do? She tarried a little in the house. And you go, hmm, well, that's interesting. Don't quite get that. But, well, here's the thing. The reapers took notice that she tarried. That word tarried, did you guys look it up? What's the synonym of tarried? Just give it to abide. me. Abide, yes. <laughs> the synonym of tarried is abide. Another synonym is sit down. Rest. Rest. Mm -hmm. Ruth, you need to go in the house and you need to sit down and you need to abide and you need to just rest for a while. Well, why? Because she had been in the field, you guys. She had been working in the field. What's the field? Matthew 13, 38. What is it? It's the world. The church, busy at work. You guys, individually and collectively busy <coughs> taking care of your homes and your kids and your families and working at church and singing in the choir and doing the music and witnessing and winning souls and doing what God wants you to do. And yet God said, this woman stopped and went in the house. I like that. It's time to rest. And what she did, she worked hard. But what is the house? Did you look it up? In Isaiah 56, 7, Jesus said, My house is a house of prayer. What did the church just take time out to do? Pray. She worked hard. She, no one twisted her arm to serve. She knew the importance in her service, she, but she also knew the importance of taking time to sit down and abide in a house of prayer. And sometimes we can get so caught up in Christian service that we forget what it means to abide in Christ. We forget, or it slips our mind. We can't please God unless we understand the need we have to be with him, to abide in him. Because what that does, that reveals his character in us. And what we do, we cast a shadow of his likeness. Um, in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 2. No, I don't think it's on your study guide. But in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 2. Something happened to this woman. Somebody have it that wants to read it? As a lily among thorns, so is my love among No. Number three is Song of Solomon 2. Are you on the Mm-hmm. That's verse 3. Sorry, verse 3. 
tree. There you go. So as my beloved among the sons, I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. As the apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow. I sat down. Those words sat down in Song of Solomon 2.2 are the same words translated as tarried in Ruth chapter 2 and the synonym is abide. What do we need to do? We need to be in prayer. We need to be sitting in the shadow of Christ because I'll tell you what, when you're in his shadow, who's going to be seen? He will, not us. And sometimes we want to be seen, we want to be heard, we want to be remembered. Well, get over it. (laughs) Because abiding in Christ is about him, not about us. But let me also say this is a spiritual battle. Because it's a source of fruit bearing. It's what's going to glorify God. So you better sit down, church. You better take some time in the house. Better spend some time in the word. Better put on the whole armor of God. Because when you begin to desire this in your life, I would love to say, oh, you do this and everything is just going to be wonderful, wonderful. It is But it's also going to be pretty tough because of Ephesians chapter 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The rulers of the darkness of this world. Get it? So when you start doing what's right and you start abiding and things start happening in your life and you begin to see fruit from the Holy Spirit and God starts to work, you will know what it means to be on the front lines of a spiritual battle that is real. Remember that first uh, PowerPoint I put up here? What does she wear on her feet? The preparation of the gospel of peace. What does it look like? I gave you a visual. Combat boots. Combat boots. Not high heels. So, She works willingly to please. She serves sacrificially. Those words, worketh and willingly, if you look those up in the Strong's, you serve, you find, she serves with sacrifice. Get it? Sacrifice. But she also serves with pleasure and she serves with delight. What requires sacrifice? Love requires sacrifice. 1 John 3.16 Well, what do we need to sacrifice to win people to Christ? What do we need to sacrifice to do to be a church that truly serves Christ and pleases Him? Maybe time. That's a biggie. Maybe our pride. I don't know. Maybe discrimination. I'm thinking of Acts chapter 10 and verse 34. 
that says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive God is no respecter of persons. Maybe our possessions keep us from serving Christ. It's possible. Or maybe not having them keep you from serving Christ. Don't know. What about hypocrisy? That'll keep you out of the game, right? Romans 12, 9. You have to have the heart of a servant, according to Galatians 5, 13 through 14. And according to Romans 13, 9, we have to be harmless. How many times have you ever felt like getting even? Oh, man. <laughs> Jeez. You know. You ever feel like this? Put up the dukes. Let's fight. I'm going to get you one way or the other for what you did to me. It's not what the Bible teaches. And then according to 1 John 3.17, we're supposed to have compassion. So if we love Christ, I'm not talking about each other yet. I'm talking about Jesus. If we love the Lord Jesus Christ, what will we do? We will keep his commandments, right? John 14, 15, John 14, 21. If we love him, we'll do what he says. How? How do you do that? You abide in him and you let his word abide in you. Because what does abiding bring forth? It brings forth obedience. And obedience will cause you to do what? Get into the word of God so you know what to do. And if you're studying the word, it's the only way you can know his commandments. You go, wow, I just feel like I'm spinning. You are. You're going in a circle. You can't go from here to here and do it your way. You have to learn to abide in Christ and do it his way or your Christian walk won't work. Won't work. And obeying the commandments of God yields to the love of God and that brings you back to the source of glorifying him. And what is that? Bearing much fruit, according to John 15, 8. Anything less is denial and lacks virtue and lacks praise. According to the word of God, that makes us liars and it brings us about a forgetfulness that we have been purged from our old sin. That's scary, you guys. Oh, well, I would never forget I've been truly born again. I would never forget what Jesus did for me. Do you know how often we need to be reminded what he's done? Every minute of our lives, every day, every week, every month. Because we get so wound up with what's going on in our lives and what's happening in this world, we forget. Now, she serves with joy and she serves with praise sacrificially. It says in Proverbs 31:25, strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come. <coughs> she serves sacrificially with delight ladies and gentlemen she understands the joy of the Lord she gets it now 
We've talked about this before. But what is the joy of the Lord? Not Willie. <laughs> Not Beverly. <laughs> Not whoever else. I'm sorry, go ahead, Teresa. The joy of the Lord is my strength. True. Yes, thank you. I didn't say what is it. I said, I hope I said, who is it? Who is our joy? Who is our joy? It's Jesus. Jeremiah 33, 9. He has given himself that name because he can forgive sin. Remember? Yes? His name is Joy also. Yes. He has given himself that name, the name of joy, because he can forgive sin. Jeremiah 33, 8 and 9. In fact, Isaiah 51, 11 says, The redeemed of the Lord march into Zion with everlasting joy on their heads. Think about it. Where is joy then positionally for us who know Christ as Savior? Huh? I'm sorry? He's over us. True, he's over us. I get that. I agree. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's the second half of what I'm the point. But positionally, where is joy? If I said, put on joy, where would you put it? On your head. Because Isaiah 51, 11 says, the redeemed of the Lord marched into Zion with everlasting joy on their heads. In the 21st century that we are living in right now, where is positionally joy right now if you know Jesus? No, it's on your head. Look at Ephesians 6:17. Take the helmet of salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, the helmet of salvation, where do you wear it? On your foot? <laughs> no. Where do you put it? On your head. The Bible says he has covered our heads in the day of battle. Do you understand the only thing that protects our minds is the joy of Jesus Christ. And yes, like Joanne said, that is the mind of Christ. Where do Satan's attacks always begin? In your mind. That's where it starts. You can walk into any given situation that is horrible and what immediately is working? Your mind. Why did God allow this? Why is this happening to me? What is going on? On and on and on and on. The attacks begin in her mind. So what has this woman done? She has covered her head. Strength and honor are her clothing and her head 
is covered. She has girded the loins of her mind, according to 1 Peter 1.13, with the word of God. In fact, that is even spoken of in Ephesians 6. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. What is truth? The word of God, John 17.17. Thy word is truth. So what's she girded with? She's girded with the word of God. Where does she, where does she, what is she protecting? She is protecting her mind. The procreative power of this woman's mind does not abort to sin because it's covered with Jesus. This is not a person who fills her mind all the time. Now I'm saying none of this is wrong. I'm just saying it's not what fills her mind and controls her mind. She's not a person who fills her mind just with TV and sports and romantic novels. She picks up her Bible once in a while and her head is covered with a helmet of salvation. She knows that her joy is Jesus Christ and she has her emotional state, and this is a poor choice of words, but it's all I know to say, under control. Because of who's controlling her mind. Easy? Mm -mm. This is war worthy. She's going to know what it means to live each day in the joy of the Lord. And when it comes time to see Jesus face to face, you know what she's going to hear? Well done. You did good. You did good. And a lot of people today don't know what it means to really rejoice in the Lord on a consistent basis. We all have our ups and downs. <laughs> right. Good days, bad days. Maybe I'm the only one. But I'm telling you what. Life, yeah, I'm the only one that is admitting it. Thank you. But we must base our Christian life on God's word and not how we feel. Because there's going to be days you feel bad. And God doesn't say, praise me when you feel like it. He said, do it all the time. Christianity that depends on emotion is like ocean waves crashing against rocks. And you'll spend most of your life banding, bandaging the bruises. And there's no shortcut to abiding in Christ. It takes time. It takes commitment. And yeah, God's going to show you a few things wrong that you need to get right. But her hands are instruments of service. Want to hit the next slide? Oh, oh, we should add this up here. Her hands are instruments of service and she reaches for the distaff. Did you get that? What's a distaff? It's not something we think of today because some women still sew and they are geniuses at it. I was never good at that, but this woman reaches for the distaff. What is the distaff? What is it? It's the shaft that controls the spindle. Yes, 
it is the shaft that controls the spindle. It's where the material is used for spinning. Well, where do we take our material for our righteousness, if you will? Where do we get our righteousness? From who? Him. Lots of hymns. Anyone in particular? Jesus. First John 2 1, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is our distaff. We take our material for righteousness from Him. He is the only one who is righteous. Why do we need to do that? Why do we need to take our righteousness from Christ? Because if we are wise, if we are willing to partake of the righteousness of Christ, why would that be a wise thing to do? Because the Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. Well, there you go. And this woman reaches for the distaff. What does she realize? I have nothing righteous to offer God. I have to go to Jesus because he's the only one who is righteous. And I will take the material for my life, for my being, for my covering from Christ. And no place else. What about the spindle? What do you use the spindle for? To spin. You have the distaff where the material is. Now, by the way, what kind of material is she using to spin with? We talked about it at the beginning. Wool, Wool and? Linen. Wool and flax. Mm -hmm. She's making linen. Mm -hmm. But she's using the flax that's on this, the thread that she made from the flax is on her distaff. The wool is on her distaff. And so she is spinning with this Wool and the flax. What is wool? Purity. What is the flax a picture of? According to Revelation 19.8. Righteousness. Do you get this? What's on her distaff? Righteousness and purity. That's her life. Now, what is she going to spin? It says in Exodus 35.25, this is an example of women in the Bible, spinning. And it was when they were working on the tabernacle in the wilderness. And it says, all the women that were wise-hearted did spin with their hands and brought that which they had spun, both blue, purple, scarlet, and fine linen. I wish to God we had the time to go over all of that individually And time to spend on that. But let me say this. The blue was the gate of the tabernacle. You can read it in Hebrews. You can read it in Exodus. And that gate is Jesus Christ, according to John chapter 10. The purple, according to, I believe it's in First or Second Kings chapter 10, Kings wore purple. Royalty wears purple in your Bibles. And if you will remember, when they were getting ready to crucify Jesus, what color robe did they put on him? Purple robe. What were the guys that tortured him by putting a purple robe on Jesus saying? 
two things. You are royalty. You are kingly. Two things, according to the Bible, that I've seen people wear purple. It was royal kings. And the guys that were crucifying him, when they put this purple robe on him, the next words out of their mouth was, Hail, King of the Jews. So the purple, then, is royalty. What about scarlet? His blood. Read Isaiah 118, and you will find out that this scarlet is a picture of his blood and the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints, Revelation 19.8. So everybody who was wise-hearted, they used the spindle, and they spun. And this, uh, this virtuous woman in Proverbs 31, she is spinning wool and flax. What's in her life? What's real in her life? What is she doing with her hands? What is she wanting in her life? She is wanting his royalty. She is covered with his blood. And she is a walking human being that is manifesting his righteousness because of what he did on Calvary and when he came out of the tomb. What an awesome picture God has with this woman. So we take our righteousness from him. We clothe, allow him to clothe the nakedness of our sin. And all of this material, by the way, the women in Exodus 35 were spinning. You know where they were putting it. They were using it in the tabernacle. Oh, if we had time, we would go through the tabernacle. Right here, we would stop. If you, have, if you ever have a chance... Uh, Take a look at the tabernacle in the wilderness. Sometimes we read about that and we go, oh, it's so boring. Let me tell you, that old tabernacle that God instructed Moses to build, take a hard look at it someday because it's all a picture. of what Jesus did. It's a type of the sacrifice. It's a picture of the Word of God. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. It's the Ark of the Covenant where the blood was sprinkled. That's exactly what Jesus did when he went into the presence of the Father and took his blood and sprinkled it on the altar in the third heaven. Oh, you guys! These women that were working in this tabernacle and using and spinning with their hands... They were making stuff. That's all a picture of what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago. It all fits. And you go, oh, no, the Old Testament is the Old Testament and the New Testament is the New Testament. No, it is not. It is a Bible that is complete. Now, what about our hands? This is important. What about our hands? Look up this word hands. Did you? <laughs> Somebody. How is it meant? How is this word hands used? If you look it up as it is used in Proverbs 31, 13, 16, and 19, how does she serve? Palms up. Palms up. Bowed down. Bowed down. Hands, open. hands open. 
Do you see what this, do you see the picture this gives you? You go, oh, she, she, she works with her hands. Uh-huh. She does. And the way she serves, she serves with the palm or the hollow of her hand. <coughs> and to do that, what can you hold on to? I'm going to serve Jesus like this. Hands open, palms up. That's what the Bible says. Tell me what I can hold on to like this. Nothing. You let go. Nothing. You let go of it all. Oh, you guys, this is the hardest truth you'll ever learn. And sometimes you have to go back and learn it again and remember and remember and remember because God says in Deuteronomy, let it go. You're in free fall, but underneath are the everlasting arms. And when you let go and you go, I'm going to serve him, hands open, palms up, I'll tell you how to do it. It's in Psalms 107.1. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And those words, oh, give thanks, look it up in your strongs. Synonyms of those words are hands open, palms up. Is it possible she understands what it means to praise and worship God? Is it possible she understands what a gentle Savior she serves and that he's not out to get her? Do you know the first thing we always say when something goes wrong? Why did God do this to me? That'll be the first words out of your mouth. And you go, well, how do you know that? It's always the first words out of my mouth. <laughs> you know, what's God doing? What are you doing, Lord? Why did you do this? <clears throat> Shut your mouth. Open your hands. And turn them toward heaven. Easy? No. War worthy? So what she got in her hands worth seeing. What's God going to see when she opens those hands? He's going to see the first fruit. Because remember, what, how does she plant her vineyard? With the fruit of her hands. So what's God going to see when she opens her hands? He's going to see the first fruit, the Lord Jesus Christ. And her hands show forth praise. So what's your thanks coming out of her mouth? Praise. Praise. Suppose she's a witness? Huh. I would reckon. And her praise brings forth much fruit. She shares her faith. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. <laughs> no, not Playtex. You know, I mean, I'm sorry, we're Gentiles. And we're living in the 21st century in the continental United States. And I guarantee you, yesterday there was probably a commercial on your TV about a girdle. I don't know if they call it that anymore. But these slimming things, you know. Get your mind off of that with making fine linen and selling it and delivering girdles. What is her merchandise? Okay, let's think about it. 
What is she girded with? This, these girdles. Truth and strength. That's her girdle. Her strength is the Lord. The clothing and the service are closely related with this woman because the distribution of her clothing is her service. you got to get that. What she's going to distribute to her family, to her friends, is <coughs> what she's clothed with. What's her merchandise? Her merchandise is linen. Her merchandise is girdles. And what is the linen, of course? It's her righteousness. Now, it sells, she sells it. That's interesting. Do you guys look up the word selleth? Well, what's she doing? Listen, this is dangerous because you see people on TV all the time. I saw a commercial just the other day of some guy selling holy water. Uh, or holy water, giving it away. But he said, I'm going to give you holy water and if you take this and you drink it or sprinkle it or whatever you do with it, you know, you'll be a millionaire, so to speak. Is that what she's doing? Is the church selling for profit? Gospel of Christ? God forbid. God forbid. What is she doing? What is this word selleth? Look up the synonyms. What does it mean? What are synonyms of selleth? Distribute. To distribute, okay. It also means to surrender. Surrender. Give it up. So if she's distributing what she is clothed with, she's not selling it for profit. She's surrendering it. She's distributing it. Well, what's she clothed with? Righteousness of Christ. Fine linen. His strength, his power, all of this stuff that the church is clothed with, that individually we are clothed with, if we know Christ today, in simple terms, we just say we're sharing our faith. We're just telling them about Jesus. And then she delivers girdles to the merchant. This word delivereth. What is she doing with this word delivereth? When she delivers it, so to speak, is she selling it again? Is that what she's doing? What are synonyms of delivereth? The definition, the synonyms. <coughs> There's many. I mean, you could make a list this long if you really worked on this and went to the Strong's. But the one that caught my eye on delivereth was to yield. Simply yield. She's yielding her linen. She is surrendering her linen. She is yielding her uh, strength. She is giving it all away. She's just distributing it. So what's she girded with? Strength. She is girded with Jehovah Said Kenu, the Lord. 
our righteousness. That's who she's girded with. That's who is her strength. That's who she's delivering all of this to. Is she selling for profit the gospel? No. She is sharing her faith. She's giving out the word of God. We are warriors. We are warriors because our Redeemer is one. Read Isaiah 59, 17. Jesus Christ. I'm going to read it. We need to read it. I think this is a goosebump verse. <laughs> Isaiah 59:17. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and an helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of visions, vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak or a robe. This is the high priest. He's got on the robe of the priesthood. And what's he doing? He's a warrior. This woman sharing her faith is a warrior. Because she is clothed with Christ. The fine linen. His strength. Well then what does she do? She lets her light shine. Want to give us the next slide? She lets her light shine. What's Matthew 5, 15 through 16 say? I bet you all know it. Matthew 15. We'll read it. We'll look it up. Matthew 15. <clears throat> it's not in your study guide, I don't think. 15 through 16. Oh, no. Oh, 5, excuse me. Oh man, Matthew 5, 15 through 16. I'm sorry. Matthew 5, 15 through 16. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light shine so before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. What does she know about what she's giving out? It's good. Why is it good? Because there's only one good but God. And what's she giving out? What's she giving out? The word. His strength. His mercy. His testimony. And she sees that that's all good. And so what does she do? Her candle doesn't go out. So what's the result of Proverbs 31, 18? What's the result? Well, we know our merchandise is good and we know it's a result of knowing Christ. We know it's a result of understanding his word according to Proverbs 9, 10. Now this candle that doesn't go out who lit it it's in proverbs i mean excuse me psalms 18:28 who lit her candle according to 
Psalms 18.28, For thou will light my candle. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. So when her candle doesn't go out by night, we know the Lord lit it. What's she supposed to do with it? Let it shine. That song we teach our kids, <laughs> we, we hold up their little finger and we teach them this little light of mine. You're teaching them Proverbs 18.28. I mean Psalms 18.28. You're preaching teaching them Matthew chapter 5, verses 15 through 16, because the church's light never goes out. And the only reason it never goes out is because God lit it. He lit the candle. He lit our candle when we received Jesus Christ as personal Savior. What's she supposed to do with it? Just let it shine. Let the Word of God have preeminence in your life. Let God be glorified. You're back to John 15 again. Much fruit glorifies God. So the result of abiding has created in this heart, the heart of this woman, a willingness to serve the Lord and share Christ and what he's done in her life. She has the heart of a servant. And how does she serve? Willingly. Nobody twisting her arm. She's looked on the harvest fields. She's looked on the fields of Boaz. Remember? What'd she see? Ready to glean. Remember what Jesus said? The fields are white unto harvest. And she's a laborer in the Lord's fields. Ruth labored in the fields of Boaz. Is she a friend of the world? No, of course not. And she's willing to accept a little persecution if she has to. And we use that very lightly. But when it comes to your life personally, it's rough. Second Timothy 2.12, Yea, and all that live, God, live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In Proverbs 31.20, She stretcheth out her hands to the poor. She reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She serves the poor. And what does that mean? Does that mean she just takes care of their physical needs? Does she take them food baskets at Thanksgiving and Christmas? Does she, does she minister to them with clothing? What does she do? Well, the church should do that. Absolutely. If someone is suffering and they have physical need, Christ will tap you on the shoulder and go, excuse me, but help them. Yes, sir, we will. Okay, that's good. But she stretches out her hands to the poor. Who are the poor? According to Isaiah 41, 17. Did you guys look it up? Who are the poor? They're who? When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none. And their tongue faileth for thirst. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. There's a great spiritual truth right here. What are the poor and the needy looking for? They're looking for water. Did God send somebody to quench our thirst? I believe he did. 
God sent a water spring from the east to quench our, quench our thirst. Read it. It's in Psalms 107:35. And that water spring from the east, according to the word of God, is the glory of the Lord. It's in Psalms 107:35. It's in Revelation 1:15. It's in Revelation 14:2. Revelation 19:6. And the word goes on in John 4:13 through 15. That water spring from the east is the water spring that is the glory of the Lord. It's our Savior, Jesus Christ. So when the Lord saw the poor and needy and they were thirsty, what did he do? He sent them a water spring from the east. Who did he send? He sent Christ. When the virtuous woman stretches forth her hands to the poor and the needy, She has her hands open, palms up. She's worshiping the Lord. She's giving him praise. And what do people see? They see Christ. They see the living water. And when she finishes ministering to them, they know the source of eternal life. So when she ministers to the poor and the needy, yes, this is important physically. But ladies and gentlemen, this is the church on the move, the army, the great army that this woman is. Remember, virtuous means army, warrior, war worthy. Remember? So it's the church, this great warrior that is reaching people for Christ, that's bringing in the poor and needy. And every morning here in this church, we are served water. We receive the living water from the word of God. Not everyone does in every church in Kansas City. She watches. She serves fervently. In Proverbs 31, 27, she looketh well to the ways of her household. Excuse me. And eateth not the bread of idleness. Well, we look at that and you go, oh, she's taking care of her household. Yep. Well, she's not lazy. No, she's not. And you will, you will hear this. Our homes, you know, God's given us this responsibility. Take care of your homes. Take care of your families. And your home should be a testimony when people visit. God wouldn't have us be slobs. I'm sorry. Don't believe that. Don't believe our homes should be pig pens. Don't believe it for a second. Don't think our kids should go to school dirty. Don't think our kids should go to school without lunch. I think as women, we should be taking care of our families. However, you can carry it to the other extreme where that can become your God who you serve. Got to watch it. But if you look well to the ways of your household... You can tell by now what God has for this woman that our first concern is for our spiritual well-being of our families. Yes, feed your children, by all means. But also give them the living word, the living bread. Teach them about Jesus. Yes, your house should be clean. But Jesus says, our house, our bodies our temple of the Holy Spirit is clean through the word. You get the picture? There's a balance. And when she looks well 
That word looketh, looketh well to the ways of her household simply means watchman. She's a watchman. Want to give me the next slide? She's a watchman. Well, if a virtuous woman is a watchman, how should she watch? Well, if you look, read Ezekiel 33, 1 through 6, you find out she should be watching with a warning for her household. Because that watchman, when they watch, do you understand what they're watching for? Watchmen were set on walls. Jerusalem had watchmen because it was a city that was surrounded with a wall. What they would do, they would put watchmen on the walls, and if a stranger would approach, what would the watchman do? He would give a call, and he would say, it's okay to open the gates, or it's not okay to open the gates of the city. That was the job of the watchman. Well, if you're looking well to the ways of your household then, you need to be warning your family. You need to be telling them about Christ. We need to be vigilant in our testimony, teaching our children, ministering to our families and our husbands like we should. What's the one thing a watchman never does? He never sleeps. That's right. You don't go to sleep at your post. Because if you do, you know what happens? Someone's going to sneak in. In Isaiah 62.6, it says, A watchman shall never hold their peace day or night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. That doesn't mean you beat people over the head with a Bible. You don't do that. You'll lose them if you do that. But what you do is, you live who you are. And if you will live who you are, It'll just come out of you. What does she do for the ways of her household? She serves her family with mention of Christ and what he's done in her life. The only thing I have, and this is an example on that real quick, when my son was growing up, he did drugs <clears throat> when he was a teenager. Every time I would get a chance, I would talk to him and I would do my best to tell him the truth and remind him of things of Christ. And he would blow me off and leave. And when he finally got his life straightened out, I asked him, I said, do you remember all those times I said to you this? You know, because it was a lot <laughs> over the years. And he said, no, Mom, I don't remember. And I'm going, ah, what? Then what was the purpose? He said, what I remember is when you t what you told me when I was 10. You get it? How long do you keep saying it? As long as that kid has breath in their bodies, 
You keep saying it. From the time they're this until they leave your home or until they stay in your house forever. You know, I don't know. <coughs> you keep saying it. You keep saying it. You never hold your peace. She doesn't eat the bread of idleness. Hmm. What's that word idleness? If you look it up. What does it mean? Slothful. Right? Indolence, slack, nothing good. If she's not slothful, she's fervent in spirit. And fervent, what is fervent? Fervent is not just lukewarm. If you are serving the Lord without idleness, without slothfulness, but you are rather, according to Romans 12, 11, fervent in spirit. And I looked that word fervent up and it means hot or boiling. Hot or boiling, you're serving God. So many people today just get by spiritually. Do you know God hates that? Well, I'm just going to get by. I know Jesus. It doesn't matter if I go to church. It doesn't matter if I study the Bible. I know Christ, and when I die, I'm going to heaven. God has a word for you out of Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. He describes an entire church like that, and he calls it the Laodicean church. And he says in Revelation 3, 13, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, thou art neither hot nor cold, cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Check it out. That word spew, it's disgusting. It means to vomit. So what's God going to do with your slothfulness, with your idleness? What is it like to God? It's like vomit in his mouth. God forbid the church would be like that. So the service of this woman begins with bearing fruit and glorifying God. How does she serve in the fields? Willingly. She serves with joy. She serves with praise. She serves with sacrifice. She searches out the things of God. She shares her righteousness. She shares her strength that she has received from Christ with the lost. She is a watchman for her household. She is never silent concerning the things of God. She serves with a fervent spirit and she looks on the fields of her Redeemer that are white ready for harvest. Is this an impossible role model God has given us? Is it impossible? No. We are that virtuous woman. Why? Tell me why. Why are we the virtuous woman? Because of Christ. Because of Christ. Because we know him as Savior, not because of what we have done. Because of him. So we are this woman because of his shed blood and we can do this. If we remember one important thing, 
just one important thing. Ruth tarried in the house in prayer, abiding, because what can we do without him? Nothing. If you will notice, Ruth abided three times in her Redeemer. Three times. She tarried the night, waiting for the morning when Boaz would redeem her. Ruth 3.13. She sat still while Naomi, with Naomi when he performed the act of redemption. Ruth 3.18. She sat down in service in Ruth chapter 2, verse 7. We have to abide in the finished work of Christ. If we don't, there's nothing that's going to happen in our lives to the glory of God. He's redeemed us. He is our constant dwelling place. And we are to serve with power and bring glory to God. So what should people see? First, they should notice a person that has received Jesus Christ as Savior and every day makes him their constant dwelling place as they serve in his fields. That's it. How simple. And if we can get that priority right in our lives as people, every Thing else that God has entrusted it to us will find its proper place on our list of priorities. Remember when we started today? I mentioned the list of priorities. Who's at the? Who's before? First, Christ is, and that priority has to be right so that everything else we do in service for him, to him, of him, through him finds its proper perspective.